What's going on, travel family? Point Noirians, welcome back home. This is session 43 of the Point Noir podcast, the only podcast that equips and inspires men of color to go out and see the world for themselves. As always, I'm your host here every single week, Jerry the Third, aka Kimono Jack. We have another amazing man of color here to share his travel perspective with you all. But before we get into that, a couple of things. First, if you're not following us on Instagram, please do so. Why are you holding out? We're there. We have all the custom special art. You get to see interesting comments. Sometimes we go live and give a little preview, a little sneak peek of the show that's coming up. That's a super dope thing. And secondly, secondly, we mention this a lot, but we can't mention it enough. If you or someone you know meets the criteria of a man of color over the age of 21 who would like his passport and wants to use it, hit us up. Slide in those DMs. I'll even like send you a snapshot of our highlights where you can find it. It's right there on Instagram. But we're really committed to supporting these men of color to go out and see the world. So a whole free passport. A whole free passport. Just tell them that, hey, I heard about this whole free passport. They've sponsored nine or ten people by now. You know, maybe you could be next. Listen, it's that easy. So just have the conversation with yourself or somebody else that you care about. We'd be happy to support that man in his aspirations of becoming, you know, a world traveler. It'd be great. That all being said, we have a great guest coming up for you all. So sit tight. Let's introduce him. Joining us today as our special guest at The Point is Asa Laveau. Make sure to follow him on Instagram at Asa Laveau and check out his personal website, asalaveau.com. Listen, we cover everything when it comes to travel and being yourself and experiencing freedom and Asa's ability to translate these ideas with such clarity and simplicity is incredible, especially considering that he himself says he started traveling out of despair and desperation. It's an incredible story. If you love good stories, if you love impactful words, this is going to be the session for you. So y'all already know the drill. Three steps. Here we go. Number one, find your refreshing beverage of choice. Number two, find that cozy couch corner that you love to curl up in when you listen to the show. And number three, sit back and relax because we got you covered. You're at the point, baby. Enjoy today's session and I'll see you on the flip side. Hey, what's going on, Asa? Thanks for joining us today at The Point. How are you feeling today, bro? Doing very well. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's a beautiful day. I just cooked up hella food. Like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling progressive right now. I'm feeling like an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I have not cooked in a while, I want to say. No, I have not cooked in a while, even though I can. No, I haven't. I should do that more often. Consider it. You know, whatever floats your boat. You're a busy man. You got a lot of things going on, you know leave the domestic rudimentary task for others. You know what I'm saying? You value your time. <laughs> I do. I do. But I do <laughs> enjoy cooking. There's nothing like serving people, everybody coming over. And I, I get a kick out of that. So yeah, I can still need to do that for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a deep thing. The ability to like nourish and provide some life force for somebody. And then the, you know, meeting over the table over a meal, nothing beats it. Uh, yeah, totally. Oh, if they're open invites, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know where to send your boy one. <laughs> Let's stay in touch for that, if nothing else. <laughs> of course, of course. I appreciate it. Well, listen, fam, I'm excited that you're on the show, excited we could finally connect. 
I, your energy on Instagram, just your story and everything, you know, we we're going to talk about travel, but I think what travel might've brought to you and the opportunities it opens up will be interesting to other people. So can you tell us where you're coming from a little bit about your origin story, getting into travel and becoming uh, an adventurer? So you're the first person to ever call me an adventurer. Let's just be totally honest about that. Mm. I have never used that term. I enjoy that term though. So right now I'm like going through the Middle East. So since last year, I've done work and played in Kuwait, Afghanistan, uh, Abu Dhabi, Bahrain. And I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it since September last year. And wow. coming from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And believe me, it did not start out <laughs> like me getting passports tatted up. That was not my normal. That was not even really on my radar growing up in Oklahoma. My, our biggest thing in Oklahoma City is getting to Dallas. If you can get to Dallas, you made it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And then as far as finally traveling, I didn't travel my very first time until I was in the military. So my okay. first plane ride was getting deployed to Afghanistan in 2003. Was that my first one? I want to say that was my first one. It could have been. Yeah, I want to say that was my first one. because I believe they took me by car or bus to basic training. And then I took another bus after that. So, yes, definitely um, airplane was getting going to war. Wow. And so you were part of that post 9-11 generation, I'll call them of, uh, you know, enlisted active military. And we have a couple of the guests who are also who have also been a part of that. And I think one of the interesting things to to bring up is that from my opinion of history, that was the primary way, especially men of color, were traveling and seeing the world throughout the 50s and 60s, you know, throughout World War II, once we were allowed to be in part of units, you know, but military was it. That's how people of color mostly traveled. Exactly. And I will say, I really do love those stories from those black men because those stories are the first times that I remember hearing black men be hopeful in mass. Mm. Before that, I personally have no re auditory recordings in my mind, in my history, as far as men that look like me being hopeful to a possibility that they can share with another person that looks like them. So when I heard stories, you know, of black men from Alabama, from Pensacola, Florida, from Macon, Georgia, you know, getting on trains, then getting on boats to Europe and finding out what Italy was and what Paris was, and then to be kissed and adored and welcomed and hugged freely and continuously and what that did for them, I am inspired every time I get a chance to hear their stories. They're so powerful and they were so different for what was going on. It was a stark contrast to what was going on socially and in the daily life. You know, Tuskegee was ridiculously major. And I, there's one that really sticks out to me. I ended up teaching a lot of black history when I was in Paris for about a year. I was a, a tour guide on a, a black history tour. And we learned about uh, Eugene Jacques Boulard, 
the uh, Black Sparrow, Black Swallow of Death. Are you familiar with him? I am not familiar with that. As far as the only black people that I am that I'm knowledgeable of are actually expats. So Josephine Baker and James Baldwin, mm-hmm. as far as being yeah. in Paris. So no, I'm not familiar, but I would love to know. Okay, we'll talk about him. He's, he's an icon. He is the first black fighter pilot fought against the Red Baron. Mm. Yep. Okay, had no idea. By the, by the time the U.S. forces came to uh, Europe in World War II, because we were late to the show, the French were like, yeah, thank you so much for uh, your pilot. He's amazing. They're like, well, black people don't fly planes. He was already <laughs> enlisted. His, his story's fascinating. But stuff like that captured my imagination. I was just like, damn, these military brothers were out here doing it. And then the impact they had when they came back to the States was massive, especially after World War II. Exactly. And a lot of things that I think emboldened the civil rights movement came from Mm -hmm. having a new experience that things really could be better. Because I really do believe that if they had not, yes, I'm not saying that war needs to be something celebrated I've seen too many things in that respect. So what I am saying, though, is when they thought themselves better, when they because my thing is, if you come from Jim Crow South in the 1930s to think yourself better is a feat all in itself. So when you get to see and feel what this could actually look like and it's not this whole worldwide aggression to who you are then yeah, you can dream a little bit different. That's so true. I've felt it and these stories resonate with all of that and your story resonates with that. So I really want to know, how did you make that transition? I I don't know how much I can ask you about your military experience. I'm always sensitive about that. But when did the transition become less for you know military work and more on a personal ambition? Because something had to drive you to continue to want to see the world. Not everybody who gets deployed leaves the country again. Despair. <laughs> Tell me more about that. <laughs> Despair is what caused me to travel. So no, so anyone that, so just so you know that anyone that comes on your show or anyone that you talk to, if we can't say something, we're not even going to bring it up. We're not even going to okay. mention the possibility of the thing. So yeah, you don't even have to go there. So, but as far as what I mean by my despair is the thing that did this. So in 2003, 2004, is when I was deployed for the first time to Afghanistan. And during that, the one month, literally one month before I got on that flight, I basically eloped. I didn't have a big ceremony. I had a courthouse wedding. So Mm -hmm. eloped. I wanted to take care of my then wife just in case something happened to me. Because in 2003, things were different than they are now in the sense that you just really didn't know if the person that you were sending off to Afghanistan or Iraq would ever come back, you really didn't know that. So right. I didn't, and we didn't know either. So I wanted to make sure she was taken care of. And then in 2005, I, well, in 2003, 2004, when I was there, I found that there was this thing called a contractor. So I'm on my base in, in, Af- in Kabul, Afghanistan, and I see black men in civilian clothes. And so I go up to him. I said, are you guys Americans? They say, well, yeah. I said, what are y'all doing here? They said, we working. I said, but I'm here working. So how are you here without a gun? Like, seriously, how are you here without a weapon? He was like, no, we're contractors. 
I was like, okay, what's that about? He's like, you know, we do the job that the military can't or sometimes won't. I said, that's a thing? He was like, yeah, it's a thing. It's been going on since the Civil War. I said, what? So I was literally flabbergasted by the, uh, like, the uh, like, really? There were people that got paid to come and work in a war zone? And then on top of that, you said yes? So I was just thrown away by that. And so they're working for a company called KBR, which is Halliburton. And mm. I was like, wow. So after so 2003, 2004, I did what I did and I learned about it. And they told me how much money they make. And they're like, yeah, you can make six figures doing this. I was like, what? And at this time, I mean, I turned 21 during that first deployment. Yeah. So I'm very impressionable, very young. And, you know, six figures to a 20, 21 year old, that's six. That's big money. People, let's just be honest. Six figures to a 30, 40, 50, 60 year old is pretty significant. Let's just be honest. Everybody doesn't come from that type of life. I definitely right. don't. And, so when I come home, I, uh, me and my wife get reacquainted, some bad things that felt very bad in that moment. Uh, so for instance, I found out she had been cheating on me the whole time. She cheated on me two more times. And I mean, even rephrase, because I take responsibility, I allowed her to cheat on me <laughs> two wow. more times. And then what happens? In the midst of all of this, she gets pregnant. And so before we leave, we finally, we get a house. We built a house from the ground up and I go, I accept a, a contract. I find a contract with KBR. And in 2005 to 2007, I'm now in Iraq as a contractor that I didn't even know about two years previously. Wow. So I'm in Iraq and I actually fly home from Iraq to witness the birth of my son, my son, who I call my S-O-N and my S-U-N who's now 13. And so, yeah, I was, and then came home in 2007, experienced a lot more infidelity on her to me, total of six times. And I just came to a point that I couldn't do it anymore. So when I came to that point in 2009, I did something for the first time in my life. And I took a trip outside the United States for myself. And what that looked like was I took a trip to Cancun. Now, I had never wanted to go, but sometimes you're so depressed and feeling so lonely that you have to get out of the situation you're in by any means necessary. So yeah. I found at that time there was something called worry-free vacations. And I booked a three-day trip for like 300 bucks. And it didn't do a damn thing the whole time. I was that depressed. I didn't do a damn thing. I mean, I did. I tried to. I mean, I went on the pub crawl, but didn't do it. And so yeah. then, and I and so remember this is 2009. And so I like, you know what? I got to get out of here. So I applied to another company to Afghanistan. And they said yes to me. And it was now I'm divorced. We're in the process of divorce. And now I'm in Afghanistan. And what happens? They say that you can go on R and R. You can. We'll pay you for your rest and relaxation. You just pick where you want to go. Now I'm still hurt. I'm very much hurt from everything that happened to my marriage and all of those things. And so, what do I do? I choose Brazil. 
Why mm. did I choose Brazil? Because once upon a time, I watched the Cosby show. And I remember Bill Cosby talking to, I forgot his character's name, but it was Denise's husband who was in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And he was telling the story, Navy person to Navy person, about one time how he got docked in Rio de Janeiro and this beautiful girl was there. And I never forgot that scene in the Cosby show. And so, and was, I mean, there's always an alert about Brazil and right. especially Carnival. So I went yeah. and I booked an R&R to Carnival in Rio and I have been traveling ever since. Wow. From despair to discovery. That is a hell of a journey, bro. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. Now that I think about it, because I don't think about it often, but yeah, it is. That's that's a lot of ups and downs, so many dynamic, important events, so much emotion and life-changing stuff. Like, wow, I'm so glad that you found, still found an opportunity somewhere you were seeking for a chance to to see Rio, to still go somewhere else. And you took it. Not everybody does that. No, everybody does not. And my thing is, it, of course, you know, every single point in my life that I did something different, I invited people that were close to me on that journey. So when yeah. I was going to basic training, I said, hey, y'all, let's go to basic training together. And I was like, four of you don't out of here. Right. <laughs> and so then I go and I'm like, oh my God, I found out all this stuff. You'll be a contractor. Come with me as a contractor. Like, what do I think about that? I'm like, okay. Then I go to Rio. I'm like, yo, come with me. Anybody got, I'm like, oh my goodness. Cause what am I, uh, where are they stuck in? They're stuck in what? Dallas is the thing. Yeah. They want to turn up in Dallas, which is a three hour drive from Oklahoma City. I mean, and I get it. No, no judgment. It's nothing but grace and ease to those in my life that still value that. However, I only go to Dallas to catch flights. Right. That's it. Cause I know it's cheaper to go out from Dallas to Oklahoma City. So I only, Fly out. If I do something international, I'm going to get to Dallas and then I'm out. But that's it. Yeah, that's a that's a real life lesson right there. When you when you see something for yourself, sometimes those other voices, you have to minimize that energy, minimize the time you give people who aren't supportive of where you're going, especially when you've seen the results of it. It's it's hard to uh, sell the unwilling. I, I don't do it anymore. Oh, thank you. No, I, I am beyond selling the unwilling. My thing is, and then even as someone who's a coach, I have learned that I don't coach the unwilling either. So, mm. you know, there was a part of time in my 20s that I was new to coaching and to that world. And so I was just on everybody. I was in everybody's comments like, this is what you need to do. And then somebody had to, somebody told me to take a seat. And I took offense to that and it hurt me. So, but you know what I learned from that? Everybody, no one asks you for your opinion. No matter yeah. how valuable that opinion is to someone else, they didn't ask for that. And you don't have permission to coach them. So because of that, I've now learned to be quiet. Now, I will let you know what I can do for you and how I can change the trajectory of your life. But then I will give you the grace and space to choose for yourself and, and then understand it and then move on. But still value your presence, value our camaraderie, because just because you don't say yes to that doesn't mean you did, you aren't saying yes to me because I'm the totality of what I offer. Mm. 
Ooh, I hope everyone listening is getting this. This is levels of game right here. <laughs> I appreciate it, bro. I really do. The, the definitely going to have to rewind that a few times because that's years of game um, that we're not going to be able to unpack all right here. But I love it. I love the energy, <laughs> man. Like I said, that was one of the things I was like, hey, I got I to gotta have this guy on the show. I, I need to learn more. And I'm glad you did. I, I'm really glad you were consistent in your messages because, yes, I, I am loving this right now. As likewise, bro. I want to hear more about Rio. You went during Carnival. There's so much energy, so many colors, so many shapes. And because you have a sense of history as well, I feel like many Black Americans, when it comes to our history, where we come from, the minority of people during the slave trade came to the United States. The majority of our cousins, brothers, and sisters from the diaspora are in South America. Yeah. <laughs> like in the islands. Yes. Like that is such a huge understanding when you finally un- when you finally get it that to be black in the world is 180 degrees from what it is to be black in America. Mm. It is. I'm going to let you go. Take it. Take that. You, <laughs> you laid the groundwork. There, build, build that house. There, on it. Build that house. On it. <laughs> There is a global and communal smile when people see you coming, when you are around the world. When you, when I travel, let's say I befriend someone that has not been kissed by the sun as long as my ancestors did, and I'm traveling with them, maybe I met them at a hostel or I'm at a pub and something, the energy I get when I'm with them and the energy I get when I'm by myself or with someone else that kind of looks like me is totally different. As well as when we meet back up, our experiences are different. So my experiences are nothing but, oh my God, I had this drink with this person. Then I got invited to this house party. And then somebody said I could stay there. And then I met their auntie and they cooked. And their experience is I got robbed on the beat. <laughs> <laughs> or what a someone contrast. made a pass to me. Yeah, somebody made a pass at me and I had to get authorities involved or even the type of fun that is available. So like, for instance, Jamaica, Mm. I'm in Jamaica and the people that are on the bus were staying at a place in Montego called it was two places in Montego. I stayed on a place called El Greco and then Mm -hmm. I stayed in Sandals when I was doing my best to rekindle time with my then wife. Stayed at Sandals in Ocho Rio. And so both times, you know, the guides and the people are like, okay, everyone, please understand that, you know, you need to stay at the resort. Of course, go to things within, you know, a half mile radius, go to heavy populated areas and be good with that. And my thing is, damn, the populated areas, I want to see what people like me, where they at? Like, right. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't come to stay in a, in a resort. I want to see people. And so when I do that, I'm having a grand old time. But other people, they just aren't. And also they become aware that the privilege of America is change. And they mm. are not accustomed to being in the minority. But when you are a minority going into a majority, your perception becomes free. It doesn't become caged. And so you could you've been operating within this little small bowl this whole time about the concept of who you be. So when you get introduced to a world that looks like you, it's like Atlanta on overload. 
when you get introduced to something like that, it touches your soul and your sanity. Mm. Can you speak to the sanity part? Speaking to the sanity part, so to grow up a little black boy in Oklahoma City in the 80s and 90s, that looked like being in kindergarten. The first time I understood that I was black because I was in love with a little white girl named Robin. In love. Oh, this little girl was pretty. And I will say, she grew up to be beautiful as hell. Let's, let's just be honest about that. She fine as hell still. Because uh, <laughs> we were in school together from kindergarten until we graduated high school. Um, then I saw her years later. I'm like, girl, you still bad. So I've been having good taste for a long time, I will say. But <laughs> Speak she, on it. First told me, <laughs> she first told me when I was in kindergarten, she's like, you know how you became you? And I said, what do you mean became me? She said, how you got black. Now, this is the first time I've ever thought about myself as black. I'm like, okay, well, how did I become black? She said, my grandparents put mud on themselves and baked in the sun and then had babies that looked like you. What? And I'm like, hmm, okay. Now, immediately, and when I say immediately for the next year, I am observant without talking. I am observant about where black people are, where I am, because I'm at a predominantly white school. I was born on the east side of Oklahoma City and predominantly black side of town. Then I got moved to a, we we moved to a suburb because my mother was very, very clear that education was going to be a thing. And at that Mm. time, the Middale school system had the best school system basically in that region of central Oklahoma. And so that's how we moved. But there was nobody in my kindergarten class. I want there was not another black boy in my kindergarten class. And even throughout my entire life, I have never. Now hear me when I say this. I have never had a black teacher. Wow. Through none of your primary education. No, no, no. Kindergarten. Through sixth, seventh through ninth, tenth through twelfth, my associate's degree, my time at Oklahoma State, and my time at the University of Oklahoma. I have never had a black teacher. That is astounding. Right. So when I talk about my sanity, there is a silent frustration that comes when representation does not look like you. Because you are not fully impacted by your possibility. Again, this is why TV in the 80s and 90s played such a big deal in my psyche and why I revert back to those shows being 35 years old living in 2019. So I still watch Cosby. I still watch Different World. I still watch Living Single because those were images that were not, not present in my, in my community that was around me at all. Now, of course, my cousins that stayed on the east side, they had black doctors. They had black teachers. They went to all black schools. And I didn't. I had none of that understanding. And so for me, I got that through travel. I got that by going to Brazil and looking and seeing that, oh my God, y'all look like me, talk like me, smile like me, dance like me. And free like I want to be. That's and what so do I mean? Powerful. 
And what do I mean by, but what I mean by free like I want to be? I have apologized for my blackness time and time again through micro experiences. So for instance, if I saw a white woman coming my direction, okay, let me, let me, let me how am I going to do this? Okay. In the 1930s, 40s, Jim Crow, if, you, if you're a black man, you're on the street, downtown, any city, and a white woman's coming down the street, what you're going to do is you're going to get off the sidewalk and you're probably going to walk to the, you're probably going to cross the street and then get on that sidewalk because the white mm-hmm. person is coming your direction. And that was because of fear that someone, you know, might say something about you being close to her or something like that. So my thing was, it was almost like a culture subconscious that I tapped into very early on. So if a white girl, a white woman was coming my direction, what I would do, I wouldn't cross the street, but I would definitely allow there to be a significant space so that she wouldn't feel threatened by my blackness. Hmm. If I got into an elevator and there's a, a white person, depending on their stature and all these different type of things. Now, mind you, I'm not a big ass black dude. I'm just not. But at the same time, if I get into an elevator with someone and it's just me and them, I'm going to basically stuff myself in the corner pocket of the elevator. And it wasn't until I was in Costa Rica sitting across the table in a very intimate setting with a woman by the name of Lisa Nichols. If you have listened to The Secret or read that book, she is the yeah. black woman that's in The Secret. So I was at uh, an event and she was there as a presenter and I, and I had been following her for about two or three years at that point. And so she knew who I was and she was so happy to see me. And so we were just talking and her assistant, Margaret were there. And then a friend of a future friend of mine, Virginia Salas Castillo, she's there. She went on to do the social media for the BBC and started something called the Snapchat awards. So I'm, and I'm in that kind of community. And Lisa looks at me and she's like, I need you to stop apologizing for who you are. I need you to start taking up space. The world needs to know that you are here by you being confident and clear that you're not going anywhere. She said, you are ducking to your destiny. You are making your own self small. We don't even have the privilege of doing that for you because every time you enter a space, you do that for yourself. (laughs) So with that being said, I traveling has allowed me to unduck from my destiny. It has allowed me to live life with all feet and my third eye per se. So when I travel, that's what it does for me and it has done for me. And that's why I don't need people to travel. So I love, you know, I love when I can see entire groups of people, regardless of color. However, there is a magic that comes when I see black people traveling. We just don't mm-hmm. do that often. I haven't been known to do it. But when I see it, I'm like, oh, that's so great. But I don't. I don't. Most of my passport stamps come from my own personal stories being in places. They just do. And I like that. Now, this is the first year that I'm going to make a conscious effort to get my son out, even though he and I took a cruise. I'm taking him to Paris uh, this year. Uh, we leave in, we're going there in July. 
Okay. So that's my first thing uh, to make sure I impart that to him because taking, being the first person to take him out the country was already like a daddy goal. That's, those are daddy goals. Being the first person to take your son out the country. Now that I did that through way of a cruise in the Bahamas, now to take him to Europe and have him see the Louvre and the Eiffel Tower and tell him about James Baldwin and Josephine Baker and now the person that you just introduced to me um, mm-hmm. and things like that and tell him my experience the first time I went to Paris and how white people really didn't look at me <laughs> like I was strange or an aborigin or something to be feared. So yeah. I love the fact that I get to now teach and show somebody else this is real. This is really, really real. The vision that you have for for that moment alone is tremendous. And it's something that I'm so glad we've been able to share on the show. We've had other Black fathers traveling with their kids. And actually, one of our guests, Jonah, just did a piece that BBC featured called Invisible Men. So I definitely want to link you both up if you're not connected already. But that's a big deal. That's a perception. That's a perspective that, yeah, (laughs) you need to be out there as well. I mean, because that's a real thing. And is so many levels to that moment alone, you know, black men being absentee fathers, not taking care of their kids, but you're doing it on the completely opposite end of the spectrum. And that gives me inspiration for how I might live my life in the future. I really appreciate it. Oh, I, and thank you for saying so. And one of the reasons why didn't really come from a knowing in the beginning of fatherhood that I would do that because my beginning fatherhood moments Clarity came around. Okay, what can I do to not fuck this kid's head up? Mm. Like literally, I just wanted to not fuck him up. <laughs> like I just didn't want him to be the reason why he was on the couch in a, in a therapy's office. Therapist's office. That's that was my whole thing. Can I just not do that? Now <laughs> being a parent, now I get it. Like mm, it's probably gonna happen, and I'll pay for it. It's cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, <laughs> because there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with therapy. Like go, right. not that go to therapy as your 18th birthday. Hey, you know what? Here's a gift certificate on me. Go see your therapist. Short, sort that shit out so you don't have to be damaged when you're 30. So mm. nothing wrong with that. But as I gotten older, asking my son certain questions. So like I asked my son a question, like, so what do you want to go to college? Now, mind you, I got my associate's degree from a place called Rose State College in the same suburb where I went to junior high and high school and elementary. And so did my ex-wife. She got her associates from that same junior college. And he told me he wanted to go to Rose State College as a college, like like an end-all, be-all type school. I said, oh, hell no. We done did something wrong here. So what you won't be doing is aspiring <laughs> to going to that junior college. Because right. your mom and daddy had to do it because your mom and daddy thought that love was the most important thing. So we done up and got married at 20 and 19 and then had to do shit backwards. That's what you won't be doing. So how about you consider Oxford or the University of Hawaii or taking a year off and backpacking through Europe? Or like those are different I like possibilities that I need you to be aware of. What you're not going to do is settle for something. I need you to be aware. Now, if you're aware of all the possibilities and you still choose, then you have the grace and the space to choose. But you're not going to do it because of lack of desire or lack of being exposed. Not at all. Right. 
Right. That's that's sage. That's real. And Asa, you've really put me like mentally in a whole different space. I don't I never know where these interviews are going to go. But what you spoke on about about freedom, about sanity, these are such dense concepts. And thank you again for taking the time to work through it. But this is stuff that I'm still working through from living abroad over two, three, what, I came back in 2016, almost three years ago. Like I'm still going through that process of, because the levels of pressure and complexity and and systemization that we're under here in the States, especially as black men, is incredible. It takes time to unpack all that shit. It does. And let me just be honest. You, that's a very good way of putting it, unpack. When you are unpacking your suitcase or your bag or your tote or your duffel and you land in a different country from America, you not only unpack clothes, but you unpack beliefs and you unpack systems and you unpack ideas and you unpack what it is to be a black man. And you don't have to be this archetype of gangster. You don't have to be this archetype of fear. You don't have to be this archetype of the big black buck. You don't have to be any of that shit. You get to just be. You don't have to do shit, say shit, fight shit, talk shit. All you get to have to do is just be. And that came from a practice that I still use. And that practice is uh, staying at hostels. I am the hostel king. And when I tell people that, they're like, haven't you seen the movie? Well, first off, I'm empathic, so I don't watch scary movies, so fuck no, I don't. Mm. Or have not. So, no, I have no idea what the hell that's about. I mean, I, I get the gist of about way people are talking, but I stay in hostels. Number one, they cheap as hell. Like, they are mm. cheap as shit. For $30 a night. $30 a night, you can have the time of your fucking life. And I mean, like, for real, you can have the time of your life. And you can meet, like, I'm in the courtyard in Rio de Janeiro, there's a, a friend of mine to my right, a new friend who's a traffic reporter in the sky that's on a helicopter every day in Thailand. I'm sitting next to who's a lesbian, I'm sitting next to her, and I'm across from a guy who's 20 from Ireland, and then a guy, a black guy who's 23 from Paris. And we are talking about the Iraq policies of George Bush. Now, I live for moments like that. Yes, I mean, sir. there is nothing more delicious than being, you're having your mind and your experiences probe by people who actually give a shit and then not just give a shit, but then add to the soup of it all. Yeah. Nothing fucking happened. And then after we done made each other mad and cussed and shit, now we go into a pub, drinking the life away so we can dance with each other under a damn moonlight by the ocean. That's a night I like to have. And that's why I keep going back to hostels, because you just don't get those experiences when you're living in a four or five star luxury resort or hotel. I get it. I do understand it. But I desire to live the life. I want people to almost damn near cry <laughs> when I leave a city because they know me. And I know them and we've experienced one another. And so hostels, couch surfing, like, yes, I'm a part of the couch surfing community. All that shit mm -hmm. is real in my life. Wow. <laughs> I'm with it. Like I co-sign everything you're saying. And you've brought so much light to this 
this different angle of travel because getting on a plane, showing up somewhere different, getting your passport stamped, that's that's very transactional. That's that's just the physical mm-hmm. stuff, but the ability for you to transform as an individual, I wanna know if you could share, because I know you do some of this professionally, I'd like to talk about that because I think it's inspiring that your your journeys externally have led you to help other people through their journeys internally. Of course, your internal journeys as well, but how would someone who's looking to kind of unpack these thought processes and beliefs how would they best go about it if they're just getting into travel? You recommended hostels. I think that's a great idea. Hostels, couch surfing. Do you think there's some other exercises like journaling or maybe meditation that might aid in this process? So I don't. So yes, perfect. You're, you're very, very correct. There are other practices you can do. But what I don't want to do, I don't want to make things seem out of reach just for the sake of saying things differently. So where you and I, might say meditation, what I'm going to offer to you, the listener, is I'm going to offer you the ability in your travels um, on day on every day, but definitely on day one, to be still. Have some time to be still. This isn't Miami. So when, when you get to Miami or Vegas, LA, what usually happens, especially when you're in a group, you guys are going to clap when y'all land. You are then going to get into an Uber, get to the hotel, throw the bags on the floor in the corner, yank out some stuff, freshen up, take a picture or a selfie of the room, put that on Instagram, and y'all out. You haven't connected to where you are. You haven't taken in the gratitude of just being in a new place. Everything has just, you're doing them without thinking. The only thing mindfulness is, is being intentional in every moment of your life to the hmm. point that every step you take is blessing the ground you walk on. That's mindfulness. And I'm not asking you to do that, like to treat your entire trip in that way. Even though you can, that is a possibility. And the reason why I'm not, because I don't. You see me somewhere, yeah, I'm going to be shirtless, wilding out on a stage next to the DJ. Bet money. (laughs) (laughs) However, there's nothing wrong with being still, being grateful for where you are, feeling your new location. To be in Brazil and to feel Brazil are two different experiences. And yes, I'm about to go there. To have sex with a person, but to then be with that person are two different things. It is the same way when you travel. Yes, it is called a travelgasm for a damn reason because you can get your whole life being in a new destination. Big facts. (laughs) Big facts. (laughs) That's awesome. And thank you so much for, for simplifying it a little bit. That's actually one thing I'm working on is taking things back a step. So my, mindfulness, being still, that that's the perfect way to put it. Yeah, no problem. I, I always desire to not dummy down, but operate on a level of clarity that my six-year-old brown self could understand. Because I'm always in my brain, I'm thinking about the little boy that didn't even know, didn't even know what he didn't know. And Hmm. 
he's listening and he always is because he never left me. How could he understand? How could he know that a new possibility was? So I'm always thinking about that and having that in my, in the back of my mind. So even though I could definitely talk about how you could wash away the vicissitudes and the vexes of your uh, life reimagined and I could do all of those things, what I would rather do is not so much be sexy in my communication, but be clear in my communication so that more people get it. 100%. I definitely agree. Uh, yeah, this has been, uh, this has been an afternoon for me over here. I'm, I'm enjoying this a lot. And <laughs> as, I'm, I'm going to have a lot to think about after this. And I always do, but this is, this is a, a note that's really touched home as are the most recent guests I've been recording have had a similar intensity to you. And I like that the show is growing and that our guests, the people who are attracted to the show are growing because I think it, it adds a lot of value. So before we round things out and hear about what you have coming up next, I want to pose this question to you. Oftentimes I ask people, what do men of color, black men have to gain by traveling? But I want to ask you, what do black men have to lose by not going out and seeing the world, by not getting their passport, by not engaging? I don't want to be, I don't desire to be flippant in my expression. Next. And I say that because number one, Whatever the divine has for you will come. So regardless if you have a passport or not, it will come. But I will tell you this. Passports allow acceleration to your divinity. Let me be clearer. You can get to London by boat. You can also get to London on a plane. One is an accelerated manner. So though your life will always have what it was supposed to have and will have what it's supposed to have, there is nothing like being accelerated so that you can have more of the goodness that awaits you. Passports, travel, allow that to happen. When you are in Kansas City, Little Rock, Chicago, Fort Worth, all these types of cities, countries, towns, counties, and you are just emboldened with the pisosity of your location as far as, you know, who's doing what, who's not doing what, what somebody did on Saturday night, the club that everybody goes to. I get it. That saturates your existence because that's all there is. And there's a, the reason why you're even listening, because you understand that there has to be more than this. There has to be more than this. And there is. And you will lose the, the desire or the fact that your locality, where you are right now, is the totality of what's available. Because it's not. That feeling that you have, that hunger that you never tell anybody, yeah, that's going to be fed the moment the plane is shaking and that moment the, the wheels shift from being on the runway to being in the air. Your life will shift in that moment that is a holy moment 
for black men that are living and born and raised on American soil, that is a divine moment in time when you realize that you are doing the things your ancestors prayed for, your ancestors fought for, your ancestors laughed for, your ancestors dreamed for. You are doing that thing. And if they, they, if they can be set free and some of them buy themselves free and buy their families free, I'm sure we can pay a hundred and some dollars or an application on a piece of paper to get a book that allows us to pay a few more hundred dollars and go see the world that they didn't even know existed and a world that would have loved. Powerful, bro. I'm, I'm sitting over here with tears in my eyes because I know what you're saying is the truth. And I have some trips coming up and I'm just I'm imagining that feeling. You, I get it every time I'm on a plane. Every time I look at my passport book, I, I get that same feeling. And you described it so well, so excellently. You might do this for a living. <laughs> you might want to consider that. <laughs> have you considered it, young man? Considered what? Damn, Talking bro. about travel? Shit, dude. <laughs> Dude, this is this has been amazing and y'all I'm gonna I can't wait to listen to this thing Ariana our editor is gonna have to listen to shit too I'm pretty sure she's gonna be shook and then I'm excited to listen to this editing again because this is real talk right here y'all Asa you really been laying it on heavy and I appreciate it so as as we close out man what trips do you have coming up what awesome projects positive projects do you have to share with us what's going on in your world man yeah, sure. So, like I said, I'm taking my little boy, my son. We are going to Paris. And so, let's just be honest. I don't really, I'm not really digging America right now. So, I'm not in America right now. So, my mama will be, also, I'll pay for both of their flights to, from Oklahoma to Paris. And mm-hmm. so, that'll be a nice time. And then after that, the trips I have lined up are Amsterdam for Pride. Yeah, I'm going to Amsterdam for Pride, and then I'm going to, where am I going to have to Amsterdam? Oh, I'm going to Greece. I'm okay. going to Santorini. No, not Santorini. Santorini was the place I was looking at. I'm going to Mykonos. Mykonos, Greece. Okay. And then Bali. And then after that, I'm going to Thailand. I'm going to Thailand for something called the Full Moon Festival. Since Ever since Carnival, I'm addicted to experiences that make my, my feet smile. And I was told that the Full Moon Festival definitely is one that'll allow your international feet to smile. So that's where I'll be headed as well. And so all of that is within this year. Wow, that is awesome. Sounds like a lot of festivities, a lot of good energy. Any other projects that you're working on that you want to share? Yeah, yeah, definitely. In the in all of this, so what I do for people, besides, of course, talking about travelgasms and <laughs> and all of those things is I also help people create their first $10,000 in business as entrepreneurs. And I've recently launched a program that allows people to do that. And I thought about my life. I thought about my life as somebody who likes to travel and be on the go and finds themselves in, you know, on trains and in airport terminals. And how would I consume information? So I created a online portal for people who want to create their first $10,000 and may even be able to do that on the go. Like you could be a dig- something called a digital nomad, which means mm. you can have a business and travel while you're doing it. And so what that's called, so me helping people 
create their first $10,000, they go to um, www.myfirst10k. So M-Y-F-I-R-S-T-1-0-K.co, not com, but .co to help people. So you get more information there. Awesome. That sounds like a dope ambition. And being digital nomad is definitely a la mode right now. Everybody's trying to be, you know, an influencer, start a Shopify store, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's definitely a point of, of gratitude to have someone that's uh, gone through that path before that looks like you. Because 10 years ago, it wasn't really happening like that. Not easily found, at least. No, <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. No. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy that I get to occupy this space as well. And it has allowed, it has given me a lot of opportunities to find other people that are also in the space. So I'm grateful as well. That's what's up, bro. That's, that's a lot of awesome things going on. Safest of travels on these trips can't, I mean, in Paris is like, that's my city. That's my backyard. So I'm glad you guys are going to be out there with your moms and your son. Like, oof, that's, that's goals. Fly your mm-hmm. mom out for a trip. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. goals right <laughs> there. Wow. Dude, yeah, this has yeah. been an exceptional time. I think, bro, I like, I'm, I'm still back here taking in everything you said. I'm trying to focus on being a host right now, but I'm over here, you know, having a moment. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for your transparency, your, your phrasing, the way you thought through things when, I mean, these are questions on the fly. I, this has just been dope, man. Thank you. Thank you for a dope time too. This is your show. <laughs> so, so dope <laughs> is a dope dad. So, thank you. <laughs> We're trying to bring all the dopeness over here to Point Noir. Indeed. Oh, maybe we'll be dope. De- I'll probably edit this out. Dope dealers. Maybe that's a thing. You know, different context. <laughs> <laughs> Come to Point Noir. It, it's I where we it. deal the dope. <laughs> yeah. I get trying it. to reach the youth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Batman. We're going to sign off now, man. Asa, thank you so much. We'll have all the details for that in the uh, in the show description and on IG so people can check you out. Safe travels, man. Keep the vibes going. And I hope to see you here again. Indeed. Anytime you need me. Dreams and blessings. Thank you, bro. Take care. Listen, y'all, I do a lot of these podcasts. We're almost at a year, but this one really took me back to those moments where I realized the truth in Ace's words about freedom, about being who you want to be, about just being and that being enough. So powerful. Thank you, bro, for the transparency and the simplicity that you could share that message with. It's a better job than I can do myself. And like, I'll be listening back to learn from you. Seriously. Hope you all enjoyed that. Make sure you follow Asa on IG at Asa Laveau. Hit up his personal website, acelevo.com. And if you're on the entrepreneurship tip, myfirst10k.co. Seems like a great guy that's taken on the challenging road of entrepreneurship. It is not for everybody, but definitely worth a couple of minutes to check out, see what he's got going on, see what he's offering. So myfirst10k.co. That all being said, as we round out, I know last week I mentioned Notre Dame and I'm in an interesting situation. So we're just going to talk about it. That day I heard about Notre Dame, it was like, no pun intended, like wildfire. It was just everywhere all over my social media accounts. Uh, Notre Dame is a place that's import had some significance to me while I was going through my experience in Paris for a year and a half. And I made a couple posts about it. I mentioned on the show yesterday. What I did not hear about until way later in the day was these three black churches that were burned down by a serial arsonist in louisiana which was 
terrible, terrible for the community. And it was just really interesting because people who came along with that information later were, you know, kind of saying, oh, y'all are talking about Notre Dame and we're not hearing shit about these churches. Well, listen, the news feeds you have are the news feeds you have within social media. And that's where I get most of my news and information from. So I had to check myself and say, what are my sources? Who am I following? What's the community that I need to cultivate within my own social media to hear more about stuff like this? And at the end of the day, there was not a lot shared about it, but definitely um, that happened. And again, this is all just about awareness, but it's interesting to see how these things play out. So that definitely happened. And in comparison, the news coverage was minimal. And then you look at the money raised to kind of repair. I mean, they're all churches, right? So Notre Dame, over a billion dollars in like 48 hours. Uh, almost two weeks later, a week and a half later, these churches have just over $2 million. Those numbers aren't even close. So it's just interesting when you see things like this. And kind of on another awareness tip, again, not to make anybody feel bad or differently, but I found about this, I found out about this by surprise. It wasn't publicized on my social media feeds. It wasn't through the people I was following on their stories. But these unfortunate, terrible bombings that just happened in Sri Lanka with over 300 dead on Easter Sunday in their houses of worship. That's a big deal. And when you start traveling the world, you start realizing that you're never far away from somebody that's impacted. So, again, I wanted to share all of that because it was heavy on my mind, the disparity in how news media approaches these outlets and granted it's nothing new but when you become aware of things and you know better I do my best to actually do better and I'm okay being transparent about that with everyone that you know is listening to the show up to this point so yeah if you're not getting the news that you know really impacts you or makes a difference to your day or that you'd like to know about change some things up maybe mute some people it's always a good step and then find some other sources that are talking about the things that do mean more to you so that you aren't the last one to find out and you know that's uh, maybe something to try out for a week or two see what that feels like okay on a happier note because this is starting to get a little long just wanted to remind everyone that for our next four passport winners april may june and july cj livingston who was one of our guests just a few weeks ago has generously offered to donate four passports each month so just want to give out shout out to cj because he's really on a mission if you check out the page you see some of his stories of him actually doing this i think he's at 27 or 28 right now so if you know somebody looking for a passport that doesn't qualify for ours it doesn't matter we just trying to give these shits away so people can go out and see the world it's gonna be awesome so shout out again to cj brother out here trying to make a difference doing awesome things really appreciate your cooperation and partnership dude so that all being said all y'all have a safe and awesome week wherever you may be traveling i will see you here same time same place at point noir this is jerry the third aka kimono jack signing off peace